everyone. My name is Kat Savage and I'm a professional artist, clinical hypnotherapist and well-being expert working with those in the creative arts sector. In my line of work, I get to meet some amazing, colourful people from actors to artists, people who live their lives by their own rules, fueled by passion and determination to bring their unique talents into the world. I wanted to discover what it took for people to leave the usual nine to five and hop on a dream, to capture their bravest moments and share these meaningful conversations with you so that together we can explore the ideas, emotions and moments that could potentially change our lives too. So let's keep talking, have some fun and enjoy the show. This week on the show, we speak to newly graduated theatre practitioner from the Plymouth Conservatoire, Charlotte Stevenson. Diagnosed with dyslexia at an early age, Charlotte was made to feel underconfident about her writing ability and was often ridiculed not only by her peers, but her teachers as well. Undeterred, Charlotte pursued her love of performance in the theatre and not only flew through her degree with top marks, but has gone on to devise her own work around how herself and others like her speak, read and see the world. After confronting the mental health issues that her dyslexia ignited, Charlotte has now gained confidence in her writing ability and expanded her voice as a theatre creator. Today we discuss what that means for her post-lockdown and how Charlotte took her personal challenges and turned them into her bravest moments. It gives me great pleasure to introduce you to writer and theatre creator Charlotte Stevenson. Charlotte Stevenson, welcome to The Brave Moment! Hi. I can't believe you're 22 years old now. That's I know, I'm like, no longer literally. that, like, Jumet. No, but you're still as cool, which, which makes me super happy. So I know from personal experience that you are an excellent performer. What decisions did you have to make as a teenager about what you wanted to do next? And what top tips would you give to other teenagers now that are wanting to go into the arts? My mum very much pushed me to do dance, even though I used to hate ballet at some point so I'd be like dragged myself but it was one of those things my mum even said you're gonna thank me later and it was one of those things I was kind of like yeah thank you it was actually really really useful to at least know the basics yeah but I feel like try everything like learn an instrument even if you know like several chords of an instrument it's something yeah and have as many fingers as many pies as you like if you very much like for me devising and you're like oh this would be really cool at least you can be like well I can do it what do you think makes the theatre so special and what do you feel the theatre gives you emotionally that you can't express in the same way in real life um I think it gives you a very much different perspective on different people's lives especially if they're quite marginalized or stuff like that I've seen so many performances where they are slightly uh, biographical either in events or stuff and I've kind of gone wait this actually happened I did not know this and completely being mind blown and I just feel like the ecstasy you get on stage is just nothing like the kind of drive you get and the kind of feeling you get off stage where you're just like I want to do it again you, you can't you, you can't I don't never experienced anything like that 
<laughs> and I think that's such a unique thing, isn't it? Because creative artists kind of get used to that experience in some way, shape or form, whether it's putting a piece of art out for the first time or a photograph or going on stage. But there is nothing really like it. Uh, mm. That comes close in real life. Like I, like the only thing that I can think of that comes close is maybe getting up and doing like karaoke in a bar or going for a job interview or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> can you remember when you went to sort of audition or apply for your performing arts course? How were you feeling? What did you have to do? And what did it feel like once you got accepted? Well, I had a very... Because I originally auditioned for an acting bit um, course, which when I look back on it, I was like, why did I do that? Acting is not <laughs> me. Like, I struggled to say words normally, like just make a sentence. Reading a sentence and re-repeating it, it's just impossible for me sometimes. <laughs> so they kind of were like, we really like you and the stuff you were saying were really good. Why don't you go on our theatre and performance course? which is like devising and stuff. And I was very hesitant at first, but I really loved the university. And I was like, yeah, why not? And that was pretty much my journey. <laughs> and then I fell in love with the course. I, I, loved, I loved the theory and I never thought I would like theory of theatre, which strikes me even now where I'm like, wait, I liked reading books. What is this? <laughs> I liked reading theatre books and finding out information. What happened? <laughs> well someone's got to do it yeah <laughs> that's really cool though because if you were going for one thing and then someone said well actually you'd be more fitted into another sometimes you can resist that can't you but it seems like you really really found your niche what was like the best part of the course for you oh I think I, I think I have many epiphanies I had an epiphany when it came to writing when I had like my first essay writing mm. And I got a first in it, and it was like the first time I ever kind of got like an A in writing of some sort. And my brain was like, oh, I can actually do this? Like, <laughs> I'm actually not bad with words? What is this? <laughs> also, credit to my lovely writing tutor, Helen, who um, took all my nonsensical words and made it into actual fluent English. You can, Emma, of course, like your course is graded and not always the mark matters but when you made a performance and you enjoyed the process of it even if it didn't get the greatest grade I always enjoyed those ones sometimes the most. I I really like to hear that because part of the brave moment sort of philosophy is that it's not really about the destination it's about those moments along the way that push you and drive you into the next and I know that as you're speaking about your writing you are dyslexic aren't you and I know mm. that you've you've had to take quite a journey uh, with your dyslexia so how has writing been therapeutic for you and what have you discovered about yourself in that process? Um, it's therapeutic and also not at the same time. Like it's a pain in the head, <laughs> in my head. <laughs> Sometimes whilst writing, well, I'll be like, oh, I found this really cool word and my brain's like, that's a cool word. How the hell are we meant to spell it? And then <laughs> people are like, oh, we'll just Google thing. And I then can't pronounce it correctly. So Google has no idea what I'm trying to say. And I'm like, does this word even exist? <laughs> um, but I, I really did enjoy it and it was finding the kind of genre of writing I enjoyed 
because in our second year at uni, we got to pick our module and we had a writing module. And I was like, I'll do that. Why not? Let's push myself. Mm. And we got introduced to very like post-dramatic like writing in the sense that it is kind of nonsensical, but it is mm. sensical at the same time. And I was like, that's literally how I write. Like it's sensical, but makes no sense at the same time. That's me. <laughs> It's so weird, isn't it? Because I'm number dyslexic. So I, I have the same problem, I guess, but with numbers. So I'll flip numbers around or it's really bad. Like when I'm paying my taxes, like I have to really get my husband to check what I'm doing because just from a numerical perspective, I will just miss numbers out. I'll I'll turn them upside down. I'm really crap at maths. Like I had to have a maths tutor and I still managed to get a D at GCSE. It was awful. It mm. does make your brain work a little harder. And I, I've yet to find anyone with dyslexia with uh, sort of below par intelligence. Like everyone that I've met has a really curious and very creative mind, I might say. Um, because you have to, don't you? You have to get creative in the way that you express yourself and the way that you talk and the way that you think. Um just to be able to sort of survive the constructs of society. So I'm really, really interested in this because obviously you've done um, the performance and theatre course. I'm really interested in what you said about the devising part of that course. Tell us a little bit about some of the performances you've created as a result of this process. I, we did this performance called Hollywood Babel, which are starting... It was a whole course, so like 30 of us performance that we all created together. And our main source was Julie Gardland's recordings that she did before she passed away. Oh, wow. And we did we took one of those recordings. Our lecturer just basically said, what have you always wanted to do in a performance that you haven't done yet? And everyone basically took that and took what they wanted to always do in a performance. And that's how we made the performance. And it was a beautiful performance talking about Hollywood, the mistreatment of women in Hollywood, um, whitewashing, loads of stuff like that. And my piece I did was basically I took Julie Gardland's whole dialogue thing, cut it all up into single words and then put it in a bag, shuffled it around and then re-glued it all back together in a <laughs> random order because that's pretty much how I see words anyway. Yeah, And then read it, recorded myself reading it out and then did it to movement. Wow. Which was the opening section of that part. That must have felt really empowering, like being on a stage and being able to express yourself as you see yourself on the inside. Yeah. But the thing is, I, I like my writing, like reading it. I hate my voice because I stutter so much when even just reading my own stuff. Mm. So, like, I used to cringe all the way through the thing. And that's one thing I still need to kind of gain confidence, even in my kind of reading stutters. Yeah. Do you know what's weird? Like, what you're saying about creating sentences in your mind and getting them out, I'm exactly the same as you. I will stutter. I won't be able to find the word that I'm trying to say. And I know what I'm trying to say, but I can't find the word. So then I have to try and sort of navigate my way around a sentence it, do you experience the same thing all the time writing I think the funniest writing I've done I'll note is I can't even remember what the lecturer was saying he was talking about vehicles and I tried to spell vehicle and I know I was spelling vertical not vehicle so I just crossed <laughs> it out and put car broom broom 
and then carried on writing. And I took a picture of it later on when I came back to my notes going like, I know what my brain's telling me, but this is the funniest <laughs> thing I've found. Oh my God. I have a similar thing. Okay. So I've been doing a lot of work with this creative agency called Dancing Fox, who are amazing. And um, one of their um, creators is called Iris Mertens. And she basically as people are talking in like a meeting, she's got like a roll of paper and she puts it up all the way around the walls of the meeting and she draws like in pictures what people are talking about so that the next day you can sort of visually see as opposed to like looking through reams and reams of notes, you can mm. see all of these pictures and it's something that I really connected to because when I was doing my drama um, teaching degree, I... Basically, in order to remember the words of a piece, I would just draw pictures because that made more sense to me than sort of stringing sentences together. Because a, a little bit like you, I struggle with remembering what to say. So I can I can see the words, but trying to recall them is really difficult. So a bit like your car broom broom, I would do something like I'd put like the word house as I draw like a physical house and then I draw like a car and then I draw like, I don't know, me walking from the car to the house. And that would be like the first sentence of that piece of of um drama. Mm. And it was the first time that I thought, oh, my God, you can actually have a job where you draw pictures on the walls instead of creating like reams of emails or notes. And I was utterly dumbfounded. I was just like, oh, my God, this is awesome. I didn't even know you could do this. <laughs> yeah, it, it is one of those things when you find out you can do something that kind of uses your weakness against you or uses your weakness as an advantage and you're like ha this is actually great I don't have to do this now <laughs> and it's really cool like you're the most original person ever but anyway um so I was going to ask next um since we're sort of talking a bit a little bit about confidence how has doing the course given you confidence in your voice and how has this whole process sort of affected your mental health? Wait, what did you find challenging before or during lockdown? And how have you confronted those issues now coming out of it? If I was talking to my first year self, if first year self hadn't done the stuff that first year self hadn't done, um, I think I would be pretty bad <laughs> in this current state, um, to be honest. I had a lot of severe anxiety disorder, which of course I still slightly have, like I still have my disorder, but I hadn't kind of confronted it. I was just like, yeah, five panic attacks a day are fine. No, that's <laughs> normal. Yeah. Oh, and until I had the breaking point and I was like, yeah, I need to go and sort this out. I need to, I need to actually confront this now. <laughs> Because I feel like especially what linked my dyslexia with my mental health is the fact that I didn't want to ask for help because yeah. I didn't want to be a pain. And also you don't want to draw attention to yourself like that, do you? Yeah. Like, I, I still remember if I, every time I look through my old, like, record books from primary school where you write, where your teacher write down things you need to improve on and things you're good at, and <laughs> always 99% of the time was Charlotte needs to put her hand up more when she knows she needs help. I'm very happy that I've now got out of that state of mind and I'm a lot better now. Like if I know I'm going through like a rough patch, I know kind of my um, get well kit that I'm kind of like, OK, I do need to have a little bit of a resting time. I do need to have just one day because I feel like especially with people with mental health, you're kind of told 
it's not it's bad to have those days where you just stay in bed and mope around where i'm kind of like you always need one day where you stay in bed and mope around and then the next day kind of build yourself back up again it's a lot it's overwhelming and sometimes i think you just need that time to process don't you more than anything and it's not that what you're doing in your rest day is nothing it's actually you're you're processing and you're recouping your body and your energy so that you can go through the next day when you're interacting with other people or you've got an essay to write or there's some Something that's quite battling for you mentally. What are some top tips and advice that you can give to other young people, uh, especially around dyslexia, and how has that helped you? I will quote one of my favourite YouTubers called Martina from Icho Sushi or Icho Kimchi. They've changed the name so many times I've forgotten. <laughs> but she has chronic pain, so she and as a consequence of that, she does severe quite a bit of depression when she can't get out of bed or she can't do something. And she has this phrase, build your ladder. So in the sense of you haven't already got a makeshift ladder already there. Every day you rebuild that ladder. So your first step is to get up. Second step is to put something nice on brush teeth, have a good meal. Each step is its own achievement instead of going like, okay, today I'm going to do this, this, this and this. And then of course you only do one thing and then you feel bad and feel mm -hmm. even worse. And I've, I kind of very much adopted that. It, it, it's kind of very much an upward battle with dyslexia. It's kind of learning the tricks, of the, your own tricks of the trade because everyone with dyslexia is slightly different. Find your tricks of the trade, find your weird ways of spelling stuff like the classic one for me is Wednesday and Knife. <laughs> I I'll still just... say Wednesday. That's something, and I have to do the same with February as well. I have to do like February. <laughs> yeah, but me, me and my mum always go around going Knife. Where's the Knife? And we'll just say it like it's a normal word. We'll just be like Knife. Um, I want you to go back in time a little bit and. I would love to know if you were to meet your 10 year old self today, what advice would you give her about growing up? Talk to your parents more. That would be number one. <laughs> <laughs> I would say don't be less stressed, but I know I'm still my, my 10 year old self would still be very stressed. Um, I would say don't, don't worry too much that you feel like you don't know how to write well yet. Oh, also, don't be put down when they move you down in mass. What they said was absolute garbage. I got put down in mass because I was I needed to build more confidence. Like me and this other girl who got moved down to the bottom set were like, how is this giving us more confidence? This is just making us feel even more bad. Do you know what I remember most uh, about being a, a teacher with you is I remember you introducing me to the K-pop scene. And yes. my mind was literally blown. Like I literally, ever since you introduced me to that, which we've just discussed before the show was about five or six years ago now. Um, and I've been obsessed ever since because I do have a bit of a thing for uh, Asian culture anyway. Um, mm. And Korean pop music, when, the, when you introduced me to that, I was like, oh my God, because I hadn't even really known anything about Korea at all yeah I got you into k-pop before it was cool I, I got know. you into I got you into k-pop before it was like mainstream it was still underground and it taught me a lot about Korean culture which I, I absolutely thank you for so I, I want to know do you still have that eclectic musical taste and like what music are you into now and how has um, it changed like the way that you see the world right across on my windowsill I have 
a collection of all my albums and like light sticks. For anyone who doesn't <laughs> know about K-pop, every band or solo artist has their own light stick, which you bring to a concert, which syncs up. So that when you're flailing around this piece of stick, um, light stick, it will shine different colours to set to the music. So like <laughs> when I was at a concert, we had like a ri- like cascading rainbow that would flow every so often in between sets. It was amazing. <laughs> Can you remember like the first time you heard K-pop? What did it give you that you weren't able to connect with in the English music scene? I like 90s boy bands, the sense that they, like, danced while they um, sang. Mm. But, like, this was, like, dance on, like, times 100. And I was like, yes. <laughs> um, visuals, like, I loved. And the cinematography I loved. And also also the fact that, being dyslexic, I could listen to the songs and not start writing down the lyrics, which was always a plus for me. And also, I remember you being able to sing in Korean, like you were literally singing in Korean when I met you. And again, from like a dyslexia point of view, did you find that sort of phonetically you could relate more to the music because it didn't make sort of like a a language sense in your head? Yeah, like I always found it, I always find it really interesting, especially some of their like band's emotional songs Mm. where songs even if I don't know what the song is about, I can still get the kind of meaning from what how they're singing, how the music video is portraying and stuff like that. And I can still go, this is a sad song. This is songs talking about this. Mm, mm. I love it. And I'm really, I'm so grateful that you introduced me to it because it's opened up a whole new world for me musically, which I would never have known about. So that's really cool. Um, okay, so coming back to now, to the uh, post-lockdown spectacular. Um, Now that the theatres are tentatively starting to think about reopening, what musical would you recommend to see for those that have never seen one before and why? And what play or musical will you be personally seeing next or even taking part in? Dear Evan Hansen. Because I I fell in love with Dear Evan Hansen when it was still in, like, the unknown, like, still doing demos and stuff like that. And I was like, I like this. I'm waiting for this. And I have to be the sucker Hamilton. (laughs) I love Hamilton. I love that they've put it on Disney+. Plus. That's awesome. (laughs) What are your favourite songs from those two shows, out of interest? Words Fail as a dyslexic very much resonates (laughs) with me. Especially (laughs) the fact that, like... Ben Platt fully has like breakdowns for every show. Like the fact that you have to basically have an emotional breakdown while singing a song while still getting the words out. Yeah. I think my favourite song from Dear Evan Hansen has to be Waving Through a Window. Oh, yeah. I love that song because I relate to it on so many like levels as well. Just looking at society more than anything, like feeling like society is on one side of the window and and myself and other people like me are on the other. It just feels like it really resonates with me. And I love Burn from Hamilton. I just mm. love that song. I think it's so beautiful. I, I, lo- I like Wait For It, Wait For It, because I love the oh, ending yes. bit. But I'm a sucker for harmonies. If you've got some very yes. nice harmonies the ending <laughs> wait for it i'm like mm, yes that's what have I you need seen in my life. um have you seen waitress i love that yes so i have much. seen waitress sarah borealis i saw her final performance in the west end and mm. just burst into tears it was just oh my god it was so good what's the next thing that you'll be booking for yourself what do you want to go and see next anything 
I've seen some really bad plays in my time. I've seen good plays. Mm. I just want to see a play. I just want to see some... I just want to see theatre. Like, I feel like that's also what's kind of holding me, like, motivation back is, like, I haven't been able to get any more inspiration because there's only so Mm. much Googling and online stuff you can get without just seeing it in person it's a different it. feeling, isn't it? When you're in a theatre and you're in the moment with those actors on stage, there is a certain something in the atmosphere that makes it really special. And you, do, you don't get that online in the same way, do you? No. So I want to ask you, what has been your proudest moment so far in terms of your performing life? I did, I did my first ever kind of written performance called Insomnia, which when I look back on it, I would totally re-edit and play around with it a lot more. But in the moment, that in myself, I was so proud of that piece of work. Why? One, it was the first piece of work I've ever written, like, for myself, for a performance or anything of that. Because normally, when it came to if we were having some dialogue, it was either we had found it off the internet from a like piece of text and we have got to use that, or someone who was a little bit more qualified in really good writing, did it. Yeah. (laughs) That must have been a massive achievement. Can you remember how you felt as you were performing it? Absolutely terrified. Oh, no. (laughs) I think I messed up one line and I got really annoyed with myself. I was just like, oh, so close from, like, actually saying what was on the piece of paper, Charlotte, but we got there. (laughs) What advice would you give to other people about being nervous? Because I know that, you know, not only are you having to deal with that on stage every time you perform, but also if you are dyslexic, then things are going through your mind on a completely different level, aren't they? So what do you do to combat nerves in that situation? I think very much take deep breaths and don't rush it. I feel like very much as a dyslexia, you feel like it's a straight, full-on sprint to the end. Mm. But it, but it's not... You don't need to. You can take your time with it. You don't need to, like, say it in not 0.5 seconds. You can take your time and breathe. It's a very, very good tip. I know that for me, personally, breathing is definitely the thing that I have to work on. Um, I tend to be a nervous laughter, as you can probably tell from this interview. Yeah. Um, so I I do combat silence or I combat my sort of thought processes by going, <laughs> like the whole way through a conversation. So breathing is something that I teach but still need to work on myself. Ah, yeah. It sucks. So that's a really good tip. Um, what do you think has been your bravest moment so far, either physically, mentally or spiritually? Confronting to my parents about my mental health. Can problem. you remember that moment and how how did you how did that conversation go? Basically, I was prescribed antidepressants and I left an empty packet at my house after mm-hmm. Christmas and my mom found it and that opened the conversation for her. <laughs> and though I was absolutely terrified for that conversation, um it needed to be had and I, I even still now I'm kind of like that was going to be the only way I was going to be able to get it out is that my stupidity was a- able to leave something like that. Mm. But afterwards it it was very much like a wall finally being knocked down that I could kind of go like ah I can put it to sleep now I have finally done something that's taken me so long I don't need to worry about it anymore did that 
lift some of the depression for you? Did you find that it was kind of linked to having a big secret? Very, very much. Like, of course, there'll be times where I would be panic, having a panic attack at home and my mum being like, you okay? And I'd be like, yeah. <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> I, I, never, I never very much hyperventilated with my panic attacks. I was very, like, insular. I was just kind of, mm. kind of turning, go, like, full on, like, implode into myself. Did you have any physical effect with that? Because I know that if I've only had a, a panic attack I think twice in my life. The first time I did hyperventilate and the second time it felt as if I'd drunk a whole heap of caffeine. That's the only mm. way I can describe it. Like my heart was going mental. I was driving in the car at the time, weirdly. Um, again, didn't think there was any reason for this panic attack at the time because I wasn't like stressed out. I'd never really suffered with anything like depression. Um, so I didn't really know where it come from. And I can remember I, I was driving along the motorway. I had a couple of friends in the car and I suddenly felt as if I'd drunk a million cups of coffee and I didn't know whether to pull over because I was like oh my god should I just keep my hands on the wheel and just keep going or whether to just keep going and I think I should have pulled over and explained what was happening because I just felt really weird for about mm. 20 minutes um, but I think also having the focus of the road it sort of like made me really weirdly hyper focused as well so yeah probably not the best thing to do if you're having a panic attack on the road but at no. the time I didn't know what it was I just thought oh god you know well, just had to Weird, for years like I had it very much all the way through secondary school and I never knew what it was I just called them my little freak outs yeah, I just was like yeah, yeah they're, they're normal and then I just remember in year nine they were like yeah we now have to talk about mental health at school so here is mental health and I was like oh that sounds like me that that word panic attack yeah mm. that that sounds like what goes through my head it was very much a weight lifted off my shoulders very much how did that help you to sort of evolve as a person um and do you still suffer in the same way today or has that you know like you said about your toolkit have you been able to sort of maintain sort of control over it or does it still catch you by surprise there are of course there's sometimes when my my anxiety just comes in one day and sparges through the door it's like hey yeah Random anxiety, remember me, just some random anxiety today. And there'll be days where I'll just, anything just freaks me out Mm. and I won't know why. And that's the kind of still part of my anxiety disorder that I'll still always have, that I'll just have days where my body's just like, yeah, I'm going to panic about this now. I'm just like, okay. It must mean, like, you know, when I talk about brave moments and those moments where you have to sort of get through to the next part of your life whether that be in a small way like getting up and making up a tea or whether that's a big way as in going for a new job or quitting something like that you must have those moments every single day yeah definitely like and while I was getting proper treatment and getting to know my body a lot better and know the signs and stuff like that and talking to my family a lot more and kind of opening up a little bit going like yeah I'm because, of course, in my family's eyes, I was just the always happy Charlotte, mm. which I think one side of me just didn't want to kind of ruin. It's like having a very mm. annoying roommate every so often barging through your door, but you can't really kick out. So I, I, I find the kind of warfare kind of metaphor of um, mental health very weird. And I think that sort of metaphor has been put upon it 
by people who don't understand what it's like to be in the head of someone who has anxiety or has depression or whatever, because they can't imagine it any other way. They can only imagine that it must be a struggle or a battle, but they don't realise that actually it's a process more than anything else, isn't it? So when that anxiety hits, you have to go through a process in order to um, deal with it. Mm. And I think it's one of those things where knowing that you have an anxiety disorder, that you're going to be a dick every so often, to put it politely. <laughs> and, and accepting that sometimes you're going to have to be that just to help yourself. Like, early on when I was dating my boyfriend, I had a panic attack and just was like, yeah, I'm going home now, bye. And I did, I literally just walked out. And he oh, thought man. he had said something and done something. And then, like, later on, I had to be like, sorry, I had a panic attack. I needed to leave. And he was like, okay, hope you were okay. And I was just like, sorry if I made you feel bad. And we still joke about it today. <laughs> but he was like, yeah, I actually thought I like ruined our relationship. Like I said something bad and I couldn't think of what I said. Bless him. But, you know, good for him for sort of sticking with it. It must have been, did you find having that conversation with your boyfriend tricky? Because obviously when you're getting together with someone, you kind of don't want to show them all of yourself, do you? Especially the bits that might be a bit gnarly. How did that conversation go with your boyfriend? Well, I had just kind of came to the end of my treatment. I had finished uh, therapy. I was off my antidepressant. So I was kind of on a new high, I was like, I can control my emotions now. I know what I'm feeling half the time. Like, yeah. I'm not just all meh all the time. Like, yeah, <laughs> sadness. Yeah, happiness. Yeah. Um, so I kind of I explained to him going like, this is, has happened. I will have days where I just want to lie in bed. It's not like I don't want to do anything. But he helped me a lot because he's, he's very extroverted yeah. So he will be like, yeah, let's go outside. And I'll be like, okay, we're going outside. <laughs> we're going to go and see friends. Yeah. So that, that always helps. <laughs> what, um, what tips would you give for partners of people that are suffering with anxiety or dyslexia or anything like that? What top tips can you give those partners to help the people that they love? Um, communication. Like my boyfriend's... ADHD and I'm dyslexic so that's always a fun time when we're like discussing stuff or we accidentally have an argument because it's mostly 99% of the time is we've miscommunicated something yeah, like he's got yeah. too overexcited and said something or I've tried to explain something and the metaphor has not ended up me ending up digging a hole instead of actually helping the situation yeah. to making me sound really bad and all that <laughs> Which always happens is then we end up both crying and hugging each other going, I'm sorry, I'm the bad person. <laughs> and it always ends up something like that. Um, but no, definitely communication. And especially if you do, like, no triggers, especially with people with anxiety or any sort of mental health, if you know your triggers, do confront your partner with those triggers so they don't accidentally trigger you to have an episode of some sort. So they they know go okay you don't like that situation I'm not going to force you into that situation yeah yeah and kind of in a way of um me and my partner always kind of talk about this in the sense of knowing each other's boundaries of our past so kind of when we've accepted it ourselves that we can then accept it to the other person and vice yeah. versa not the fact that 
we are now dating. I must tell you my deepest, dark secrets even I don't even know about, kind of in that sense. That's really good advice, especially talking about triggers, because, again, when you're with a partner, sometimes those conversations can be a little tricky, um, but they are totally worth having, aren't they? Because, as you rightly say, communication is the only way that you can really relate and have that relationship with each other um, on that deeper level. So thank you for that advice. That's really, really good to hear. What have you reflected on during your lockdown and what has it taught you about what you want to do creatively going forward? I've enjoyed my writing days when I've been able to kind of find motivation in my brain to write something or have inspiration. Mm. And hopefully when we are back open, I can find a bit more and meet people and kind of because I'm very much of a collaborative worker. I'm not like I I was working on a solo piece but it was also very collaborative my performance that I was going to perform for my last module was about a relationship between my mum and her mum and Mm. my me and my mum because my mum's mum suffered um, suffered with very severe bipolar disorder Mm. and of course we're talking about 60s 70s England and Canada where you kind of were just given pills and told you're fine yeah yeah which was really interesting and my um gran used to write quite a lot of very very interesting pieces of work so i have some of her work so i've been i'm at transcribing them and rewriting them out and seeing what i can do with them and stuff like that so they can have their own kind of have their own life one of her little short stories I'm currently rewriting out and I have like a whole book where I've been writing like this needs to be rewritten this bit needs to be added and stuff like that because my first plan was I was going to read it and then I write it but I knew my brain would not want to read it yeah (laughs) so I was like I'll have to write it and read it at the same time so that's that's currently my plan (laughs) that's pretty ambitious considering that you are dyslexic like I'm like all credit to you girl that's amazing well (laughs) the thing is I'm forced to read it to actually write it out so I thought that was that was the main plan and also um, one of the stories that I'm doing is she's handwritten it and she had very joined up handwriting I had to send a picture to my mum and be like what is this word and my mum said oh I think it might be devil and I was like that makes sense the sentence but that does not look like devil (laughs) one of the main characters is called Dave but it looks like Dove and like the E just doesn't exist but it has to be Dave because that's the only word that I can think of that has (laughs) D-A-V good old Dave (laughs) everyone knows a Dave oh that's so funny Um, so obviously being in the theatrical and performance space, what is motivating you, especially now, especially because so many creators have had to take different jobs other than the ones that they were anticipating to be in in the performing arts? What's motivating you to keep working at your theatrical performance? Because I want it to be performed, basically. Yeah. I want my voice to be heard. Um, (laughs) I feel like when I... As a kid, when you see a performance and you go like, oh, I relate to this character and stuff like that. I've always, I've never really had a, besides one character from a book, I've never really found anything from like TV shows or anything like that where a character I've gone like, yeah, 
I completely agree what this character is doing. I I I completely understand this character. This character is me kind of moment. Yeah. So I've always wanted to create a character that or a performance where people can go like I they find a piece of themselves in it or they learn a piece of themselves in it. I think that was like the biggest success of Dear Evan Hansen because I think before then um sort of mental health issues they may have maybe possibly been put into plays but not in the same way that was so exposing like Dear Evan Hansen which I think is why it was so successful because it was the first time that someone literally as you rightly say has a breakdown on stage and it you know there's so much that goes on within that play whether it's you know from the tweets going viral about him whether it's his actual mental health issues himself blah 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 and I could keep Mm. going on Um, but I think it's what you're saying. It's about being able to relate to someone who's human, who's like you, that you can look up to and you can say, you know what, that's going to help someone else like me to feel safe or to feel recognised, which I think is like the main word, isn't it? It's like knowing that you're not alone and knowing that you are being recognised in all the beauty that you are and how your brain is working in a way that other people can relate to. Yeah, like, I think the only character I can think of that was dyslexic in a movie was Percy Jackson. But even then, oh, yeah. they they come up to the thing of, oh, it's because he's a demigod and he's just reading everything in Greek. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> it's kind of that thing of um, dyslexia has kind of been like, oh, this is part of the character. They struggle with reading and then they kind of brush it aside like it doesn't affect any other part of our life. Yeah, but it does, doesn't it? That whole process. Yeah. So, oh, good Good luck with that because I'd be really interested to to see what you come up with and obviously come and see you performing. What has been your biggest personal challenge with your work or mind and how have you overcome it? Um, accepting writer's block. Ooh, that's a good one. And, and when I mean by like accepting writer's block, especially now I have like an Instagram where I try and post things and kind of accepting the fact that there will be months where for like two months straight, I won't be able to write anything and kind of going like, it is okay. It does not mean I'm not I'm good at writing. Kind of mm. that, that thing of going like, I'm not good. I'm not doing anything. Mm, mm. There's a, such a massive um, thing that your mind goes through, doesn't it? When you just feel unworthy of being able to do stuff and there's something that I always have to tell myself when I'm having those moments of like imposter syndrome or feeling of unworthiness or that I'm not up to the job I just have to kind of say to myself okay well it's my choice now I can choose to allow myself to feel that way or I can choose to ignore that voice and just do I don't know an exercise or go outside and change my mindset about it or have a conversation with a friend or something like that just to get my mind out of those moments what do you do when you're in those moments of despair or anxiety or not feeling worthy enough what do you do to combat that um I kind of very much go then don't write don't force yourself to write something that you're never going to use and it's going to really be a load of rubbish so allowing yourself like permission to yeah that's a massive thing and also kind of especially if I'm having a very dyslexia day where just nothing is inputting and outputting out of me and just going like, yeah, I've done, I've had bad dyslexia days and I've been still creative and kind of used it to an advantage. But if I'm having a writing block day and a dyslexia day, I'm just kind of like, yeah, this is the sign. I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to go and do some shopping. That, yeah. Or do, go just go out for a walk of some sort. 
I think also I'm, trying not to force myself to do be creative, like be like, I'm gonna take my like take my notepad to go for a walk, but like then force myself to try and write something on that walk. It always feels a bit pretentious, doesn't it? Because you when you set out with that intention, sometimes, like you say, you feel that pressure to find something that maybe isn't there. Whilst, I, I don't know about you, but I'll find like creativity will suddenly hit me at like two in the morning. Yeah, I was, about, like I was literally about to say that. <laughs> I wrote a whole piece of basically half of the whole, the performance I made called Insomniac, which was my first like written piece. 99% of it was all written at like two o'clock in the morning with, <laughs> with my insomnia. Kind of going like, yeah, the, like the amount of times I've written stuff and I'm like, why, bro? Why, like, I've done essay, like, parts of essays at like two o'clock in the morning, and I'm just like, brain, why did you so- decide to be like, yes, I have an idea now, not <laughs> at like ten o'clock when that's still reasonable to be doing work? <laughs> I can absolutely relate to that. Oh my god! Right, so I'm going to ask you a weird question now, but I think it's a nice question. What's the closest thing to magic in your real life? I think that those sudden acts of kindness always surprise me of of things I see on the internet or I see in real life, even if it's like just simple things. I always really love and I just feel feel like they're so magical on both ends. If you could meet your 100-year-old self, what advice do you think they would give you going forward? Don't rush everything. So kind of like take it as it goes in the, the sense so... Don't make plans at yeah. this moment because you never know what's going to happen. That's really good advice. Um, she's a very, very intelligent lady. <laughs> I try to be. <laughs> if you were to be reincarnated, what three memories, people or skills would you want to remember from this life and why? Um, writing would be one one thing. I think the first time I ever performed, which would have been... I'm not counting like preschool plays like proper performed would be yeah. when I did Sturt's Theatre when I was like eight. Oh, I love that theatre so much. And I was doing Oliver and um, my musical talents. Yes. I'm really glad you're taking those, those to your next life. That pleases me very much. Before we go into your quick fire question round, Charlotte Stevenson, what advice and tips would you give to those other people that are in your situation that have just come out of music or theatre or acting um, university degrees and they're just wandering out of lockdown going, oh my God, what am I going to do next? What advice would you give them? Um, Is to keep those friends that you really love creatively close and message them all the time. Like I've worked with some one of my friends who is doing a postgraduate. I've helped her with one of her pieces and stuff That's like that cool. to kind of still keep my theatre juices flowing with yeah. collaborating as well as in a sense have a break and that may mm. be weird to sound but I had after uni I had like a good at least month where I just didn't do anything to do with theatre like of course I still consumed media and theatre in that sense but I took a break from thinking and wanting to create and kind of then was able to come back to it in a kind of new state of mind that's a really good piece of advice because I think a lot of people coming out of lockdown will be feeling that pressure to quite literally perform or to get back out there as soon as possible. But actually, 
giving yourself that mental headspace to really appreciate and value your skill set and come back to it, as you rightly say later, with sort of a fresh pair of eyes. That's invaluable, isn't it? Mm. Are you ready for your quick fire question round? I don't think it'll be quick fire because it'll take like five minutes for the <laughs> question to sink in. I'll be like, yeah. Okay, here we go. <gasps> Favourite play? Forgotten. Nice. Song you have to sing along to in the car? Oh, anything by BTS, to be honest. Or K-pop related. <laughs> Favourite song from a musical? Uh, anthem from Chess. Oh, I haven't seen Chess, but I'm oh, going to have so to go good. check it out. Yeah, I, I know. It's definitely on my bucket list. Best piece of advice you've ever received? Your dreams will always kind of change. It doesn't matter as long as you like what you're doing. Um, Epic fail. Anytime I've like said the wrong word and meant another word, like I've, I've mixed up organisms with another word that begins with O, which is scientific. Um, I got the wrong ass when I was doing an essay about um, Midsummer Night's Dream. I put the, the bus end instead of the actual horse. There is too many. Oh, and just me just tripping over my own two feet. They're just those classic ones. Do you know what? You know, talking about that sort of brain space where you can't think of the word and get it out of your mouth. I have so many weird words for things around the house. And sometimes, I don't know if you get this, but I'll be thinking of the word chair, but I'll say like the words, I don't know, computer. Like I'll just completely use a, a completely different object for that particular word. So mm -hmm. I'll be like, oh, Tim, can you pass me the computer? And he'll go, what? <laughs> like, no, I do sorry, that I'm all the time. I'll be pen. like talking about my knee, but I'll say elbow. Yes. What is that? <laughs> I don't oh, know. Oh, it's, it's really annoying. I've done. I've done a thing where someone. I remember it so vividly in secondary school. Someone going, "Can I par par um, borrow your eraser?" And I was like, "Here's here's, here's my eraser," and then wrote eraser on my book. <laughs> I was like, "What happened here?" <laughs> My brain just still was thinking of a razor and was like, yeah, that's the word I was carrying on with my sentence. God bless our brains. Yes. Uh, Favourite actor or actress? Um, I would say the he Helen McCrory, who just recently passed away. I loved all of her stuff. Oh. She, 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 she played Aunt Polly in Peaky Blinders, which I loved her character. And, of course, Narcissa Malfoy, she had cancer, so... God, yeah. it just goes to show you have no idea. Yeah. Oh, oh giving massive, massive hugs. Massive hugs there. Um, what's your pet peeve? Um, people who are just not honest or mm. just who kind of like... Yeah, just people who are not honest... Worst thing someone can say to an artist? We had a thing at uni and I agreed with my lecturer. Our lecturer says, don't say I liked. You can't say, oh, I liked it or I hate, I disliked it. You had to be like, because you had, he banned that word and you had to be like, this was really useful and it gave you this <laughs> or emphasize this. Because someone saying, oh, I liked this is not really useful information, or I dislike this, which our lecturer said, well, if their purpose was to for you to dislike it, that's not really useful information. Explain why you disliked it. The thing that you like best about yourself? I'm fine taking the mickey out of myself and not taking me too seriously. 
the last text that you received. I love you from my boyfriend. Oh. Who is the only person who really texts me. <laughs> if you could be in any play, what would it be? Um, I would love to play Nora from Dollhouse. Oh, Because she's such choice. a badass character. She is so badass. Really good choice. Um, if you could only save one object in your house, what would it be? My tablet, because it has all my... No, not my tablet. All my um, grand's writing. Book every actor must own. Oh, there's so many fitter books. Of course, the classic Stanislavski stuff. Um, Grotowski. Mm-hmm. Um, if you if you were into devising, um, the post-dramatic theatre by Hans Tears Lerman. Existential crisis, but very good. <laughs> if there was a zombie apocalypse, what would you use as a weapon and where would you hide? Either like a machete <laughs> or or like a baseball bat with like spikes on it. <laughs> Good choice. Where would and you hide? Asian food market because everything lasts Asian in there. <laughs> Plenty of noodles. <laughs> You'll live forever. Well done, Charlotte Stevenson. You have survived <laughs> your quick fire question round. Here comes your solitary clap. thank you so much Charlotte for coming on the show today I've really enjoyed reconnecting with you and finding out about your quirky and wonderful life Um, Mm. if people want to connect with you what are your social handles so I have a writing social handle which uh, if I can remember it's um, Charlotte E. Stevenson and how about if they want to um, see any work that you'll be producing in the future, where will you be posting it? Probably on that Instagram at this current moment. Thank you so, so much. It's been such a pleasure to talk to I you. I know, it's been amazing. <laughs> what I love about Charlotte and what I've always loved about her actually, as long as I've known her, is her ability to come back swinging. Whatever it is she has gone through, whatever life throws at her, she always finds her own unique way to turn it into something she can utilise and learn from. Bright, creative, fun and wise, Charlotte tells us that life works a little better when instead of trying to climb the whole ladder, you just take it one rung at a time. Don't rush, she tells us. Don't force anything and remember to breathe. It's okay to go at your own pace, and if you need to take a moment, then you shouldn't feel guilty about that. We all need a duvet day now and then, even a metaphorical one. Charlotte reminds us that sometimes you can be far more creative if you step away from your art and come back to it with a new state of mind. We have this societal pressure, it seems, to keep producing and keep producing, even if it's not up to standard. But why do anything other than what you're proud of? There is no rush when it comes to your art and taking that breather can, well, breathe new life into whatever it is that you're creating. And if you are creating, especially writing or devising, have a look at who you are and write yourself into your work, even if who you are is a little different to other people. Even more reason to create work which works for you. Our brains are all wired differently and there isn't a one-size-fits-all anymore. Thankfully, because of people like Charlotte, times are changing and new storylines that express everyone's individuality are being created by our next generation and thank our stars that they are. 
If your beautiful characteristics are rarely represented in performance or otherwise, now is the time to bring yourself forward as a creator and join the artistic revolution. We need your voice and all you have to offer so that we can all learn to appreciate who you are and others like you. Finally, don't be afraid to ask for help. This is such a great piece of advice from Charlotte. None of us want to feel like a burden to others, but equally, we all know how honoured we feel when someone asks us for that help. Being able to serve others is equally, if not more rewarding, than the relief someone gets from receiving the help. After such a worldwide crisis as the pandemic, I'm sure we could all use a little extra. So let's get used to asking and allowing others to give it to us. There is a great book by performing artist Amanda Palmer called The Art of Asking. I highly recommend that if you are a fellow artist, you purchase it. When it comes to mental health, asking for help or even telling those you trust can be a big relief, maybe more than you anticipate. No one should go through health issues alone, no matter their nature. And even though it may still feel taboo or a weakness to admit that you have some health problems, doing so will only prove just how much those around you care for you and are willing to support your journey. The only way something becomes normalised is if we share our mutual experiences. That may mean taking a little courage and turning it into your bravest moment. Every one of us is going through something, but those who lead the way on the conversation will always bed in a safer path for those that follow. So let's all be a little more like Charlotte, shall we? And bring around the change we wish to see in the world and ourselves. Take the rungs of your life ladder one step at a time and build on that dream daily. And sooner or later, you'll be exactly where your dream dared you to stand. As Eleanor Roosevelt once said, the future belongs to those who believe in the beauty of their dreams. Next week, we speak to Lucy Taylor, founder of Make Work Play, who tells us what it takes to do exactly that. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the show. If you have a spare moment now, please like, subscribe and tell me your thoughts in a review on Apple Podcasts, which will really help other people like yourself to find the show. Of course, you can also share the show with your friends by following us at the Brave Moment Podcast on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube or on Twitter at Moment Brave or just follow the link tree on all of our social media platforms. It's been so wonderful to have you all here with me again. Please get in touch with your own stories and remember, your brave moment starts now.